I'm Cathy Creswell. I'm a professor of developmental clinical psychology at the University of Oxford. So I'll be giving a keynote on the Friday lunchtime talking about increasing access to CBT for child anxiety problems. Um, and essentially, I think everybody in the conference will be on board with the fact that these sorts of problems, like anxiety problems, are really common in children. That We have effective treatments, but very few families are accessing those treatments. And we really need to be much more ambitious in how we think about making sure families get the support they need when they first need it. So I'll be sharing some ideas about how we might do that. Um, so it'd be great if people could come along and, uh, and help us push those things forward to make sure we can make a difference for families. I'm 39, I've got a six-year-old daughter, soon to be seven, and um, met Cathy through doing her My Cats project. Um, my daughter's, uh, we labelled her shy to start with, and that wasn't very helpful, um, but basically she has lots of different anxiety problems going on, and the My Cats study was something that we wanted to get on board with, find out more about. Um, it was actually through my daughter's school that we found out about the study, um, it just came at the right time. It was like we were starting to really struggle. She was struggling at school. And then they said that this study was going on and immediately we signed up and thankfully we were accepted onto it. So yeah, that's, that's how we got involved. Thank you both very much for joining me. I wanted to start off before we get into the kind of detail of Cathy's research and what, what you've done together just by kind of thinking very broadly about where we're at now in 2022 in the UK, um, it's quite an anxious time for everyone, isn't it? With, you know, the pandemic and cost of living and, you know, climate change and all these things. And I was just thinking about how anxiety that just exists in the population, you know, we all have anxiety, about all of those things. That's a logical <laughs> response to the situation we're in. How that gets reported by the media and how it sometimes gets conflated with anxiety disorders or kind of clinical anxiety problems. I think it's a really important distinction because as you say, that's right. I mean, anxiety is a normal emotion that everybody experiences at times. Um, and we're very conscious of that in the work that we do with families and particularly Increasingly, we're doing more work where we're going into schools and um, screening for anxiety problems in children. And when we're doing that, we're really conscious of not over pathologizing normal kind of fears and worries. Um, you know, as you say, everybody experiences them. And we also know there are sort of developmental patterns as well. So particular sorts of fears and worries are more common at, at different ages and different stages in development. However, what we're really also really conscious of is that some children really struggle with those fears and worries and that there are things that we can do that can help. So it's always about trying to get this balance of um, not over pathologizing normal fears and worries, but making sure that where people are struggling and where it's getting in the way of their life in any way, they're able to get the help that they need straight away. So part of... Um, so Rachel's taking part in the MyCats study. Another study we're doing at the moment is called iCats, which is also based in primary schools with 
slightly older children in key stage two. And as part of that project, we've been looking at screening and how to best identify children who are having problems with anxiety. And it's really those questions about impact that are really critical. So lots of children might experience symptoms, but they don't necessarily cause a problem in their lives. But those questions about how does this cause problems for the child at home, you know, in, their, in family life, at school and so on, those are really the critical questions that we found are most helpful for identifying children who are struggling and then uh, making sure that we can offer them support. So tell us, Rachel, about your experience of anxiety. It sounds like you've been on a bit of a journey with your daughter from a kind of shyness to anxiety. What, what, how did that transpire? I mean, um, she's our only child. So as a parent, you kind of go along with it and just think, you know, every child's different. So this is just Eden. Um, that's just the way she is. And she and she's quieter when she's around other people. She talks nonstop when it's just me and her dad. But yeah, she's quiet around other people. And it it's just, we accepted it for such a long time. And then it was only when she started school and we realised that it was actually impacting quite heavily on her sort of friendships and how she connected to people and how she behaved when she got home because there was all this pent-up energy and frustration inside of her that we realised, no, this is going beyond sort of normal, quiet behaviour or, or being a little bit anxious about things. This is this is actually affecting her as a person and her personality would change as well. So um, we went along with it and then we got to the point where it was like, let's, let's sit down and talk to her because talking to her actually helped her it didn't increase her anxiety it was like oh okay mummy understands what I'm talking about mummy gets anxious as well so actually opening up the conversation and allowing Eden to speak about her feelings and having the tools to do that as well I mean that's what the study gave us it would get it gave us a purpose and a sort of almost like a mission for Eden to to face some of those fears so um yeah it, it just it came to a head when she was in reception where where we noticed that she was just so frustrated and upset but wouldn't express it. Um, but now we're, we're, we're really moving along quite quickly, it feels. it was. It's only when you look back and reflect on it that you realise how, how many goals she's actually hit. From your perspective, Rachel, what was the help that you got through... My cats. Just talk us through. You said there were telephone calls. What what sort of support was there? What kind of information? What format was it in? So yeah, we had a weekly telephone call scheduled for half an hour. Um, after the telephone call, we would um, I'd work through the next the following module, and that was all really set out clearly, easy to understand, easy to access. And then throughout the week, I'd work on Eden with Eden. Sorry, not on her. Um, <laughs> trying to get her to make the goals and hit them as well. Uh, the conversations that we'd have at the end of each module, um, Tamitha, was, um, who was our person that we'd go to, she um, was just amazing, would give suggestions if I was struggling or like there'd be weeks where I'd, I'd set the standard too high um, because I want Eden to just fit in straight away and just, just fly. So it's like, no, hang on, hold back a bit. If, if she can't hit that, what what let's step back and do this in stages and steps and make sure that we're, we're sort of setting a foundation. And, and that was really helpful because, you know, every parent just wants their child to be sort of to fit in and for the want of a better word, be normal, just 
go and play with the other children. You know, you don't need to hang back behind me. It's it's fine, go and play. But Eden's not like that. And gradually, little by little, she is stepping out of her comfort zone and she is forgetting herself a bit more and, and playing freely and doing the things that, that make her a happy little girl. This is quite novel, this research, isn't it? And this platform that you've built, because it's intervening really early. It's helping kids in reception in year one and year two. And it's doing, it's doing a kind of online intervention at a, at a time where face-to-face care maybe wasn't available for a lot of young people during the pandemic. And waiting lists are massive currently, aren't they, for young people? So, yeah, tell us a bit about the inspiration behind it and the innovation. Of the studies you mentioned, my cats, I cats, co cats, all involve an online platform called Aussie, which stands for Online Support and Intervention for Child Anxiety. And that was um, developed based on work that we've been doing for a long time, where we've been supporting parents to implement CBT approaches with their child to help their children overcome problems of anxiety. And we've done a few studies where we've worked with a book and a more face-to-face way with parents to help them help their children with anxiety problems, excuse me. <clears throat> and um, and we've found in previous trials that you can get really good outcomes and you can work quite efficiently when you work with parents um, because you know they can get stuck straight in at home you know, put a lot of time in at home, which you wouldn't be able to do yourself if you're working directly with a child. And obviously, if you're working with young children, you know, there's only so much you can cover in in a session. You you need to do a lot around it to to get them engaged and involved and so on. And and often as a therapist, you're not there at the times when they really have the opportunity to try new things and do things a bit differently. So, So the original approach was very much about supporting parents to help their children. And we got good results. It was efficient, but we found that there were still, of course, lots of barriers for parents. You know, parents are often so busy with juggling work and childcare there might be siblings as well and um, lots of other factors and we found that often parents would be reading the book at you know midnight after having finished the washing up and done the laundry and done all the other things and um so we really wanted to think how can we make this as efficient as possible and also getting physically getting to appointments you know is quite a barrier for parents with all the other things that they're juggling so um the reason for developing Aussie was very much to try to just make it as accessible as possible for parents so that we've got something that parents can um, access you know when they're first starting to have concerns um, so that um, they can you know get the support they need feel empowered feel confident in their ability to help their children um, and nip things in the bud at as an early stage as possible. So that's really what Aussie was all about. So we developed Aussie through a co-design process where we work with parents, we work with clinicians, and we work with a tech company to develop a platform that works for um, works for families and hopefully is easy to use for parents and accessible and engaging, but also works for clinicians working in NHS and, and other services by having things like, you know, capturing routine outcome monitoring measures throughout the program capturing the information that they need um, to make the administration easier and efficient and all of those sorts of things so we developed uh, the platform and um, did some initial work where we did a case series within a research clinic with children who'd been referred for anxiety problems and we got really promising outcomes there Um, and since then we've been 
we, the COCAT trial is continuing to evaluate it in clinical services, but we've been really keen to think, well, how can we get this to families as early as possible? So ICATS is with children in key stage two, where we are screening children for anxiety problems and then offering um, Aussie. But MyCATS is for children in key stage one. And there we ask questions to identify children who might have existing anxiety problems, but also who might be at elevated risk of anxiety problems, for example, uh, for having a more inhibited temperament, for example. And what we're doing in MyCATS is providing families with Aussie. And so they have access to the online platform. Um, and then they also have weekly phone calls to help them work through it, help them think about how it to apply it with their child and help them to problem solve as Rachel was saying and to also just keep that momentum going um, and then they work through that program and with my cats we're following up families a year later to look at whether we've been able to alter the number of children who have an anxiety disorder a year later so that's the sort of program and, and within Aussie it's very much about um, as, as we were already hearing it's very much about helping parents to help their children have new experiences that allow them to learn new things about the world. So it's about but helping children to do that in a really supported and positive way. It's not about throwing children at the deep end to into have you know experiences that might be terrifying for them and hoping that they get used to it. It's much more about you know really trying to understand um, and open up conversations between parents and children, which often you know can be quite tricky with younger children, and just to sort of be curious about what children are fearful of or worried about, and then help helping yeah, gradually create the opportunities for them to learn new things, build their confidence, develop skills if they need them. But also it may be that parents along the way discover things that are challenging for their children. And so it might be about also bringing in external supports as well to help them in, in different sorts of situations. So I'm interested in this, this idea of pushing kids to experience these difficult situations and cope with them and not, as you say, throwing them in at the deep end. And Rachel, you said earlier that there was a, a bit of you kind of really wanting Eden to kind of fly and you having to kind of pace yourself and take one step at a time. Yeah, so I think that's really where um, our sort of support worker helped us to just identify when I was going too too far ahead and pushing Eden too, too hard um, because she's frustrated anyway and then I'm sort of putting more on her so it lets you just take a step back and although like with Eden even saying hello to somebody is a big deal she can't do it she literally just freezes and looks down or looks at me to say hello um other children will just go up to a stranger and just have a full-on conversation so it's it's about not comparing your child to other children and just identifying their need and why it's so difficult and just helping them to do something simple so it's so target driven that it just helps you to build their confidence so with Eden like I say she wouldn't or I won't even say hello to somebody but one of her targets was to go into a shop with me obviously and make a purchase and she didn't have to say anything she just had to pay the cashier this was an absolute battle for her she she said no I'm, I don't want to do it so then in the end we, we took a step back and said okay just go into the shop pick what you want from the shop and I'll pay for it but you have to be you know right there and try and look at the shop assistant 
and she'll do that. And so the next week we'll try and go in and then she'll make the purchase and she did it. And that was a massive deal for her. Um, and the thing with my cats is that I struggled with it to start with because it, it is reward based. Um, and that to me, I, I sometimes just struggle to just reward behavior constantly, but it, it has made Eden growing confidence so much that now I'm just like, I don't know why I ever had a problem with it because it, it's just, you know, we've, we've already reaped the benefits of it so, so much. Um, so yeah, it's just, just identifying that your child is, is, is their own little person, their own world is filled with so much that we don't even get to see. So it's just helping them to, to do things in small steps. Like you say, not throwing them in at the deep end and saying, you know, just go and do it. What's wrong with you? It is just saying, you know, yeah, I, I get that that's difficult for you. So, you know, how can we, how can we get, get you to the point where it's not so hard or, where it doesn't feel so nerve-wracking. I think this this point about having to kind of, you know, go at this gradual pace is particularly important for children. It's quite interesting because with work that's been done with adults and looking at what's most successful to help people um, get new learning when they, you know, do things to, to test out their fears, you know, there are some suggestions that taking gradual approach might not be the most efficient way to maximize the learning however with children it feels such an important kind of strategic part of the picture because we always have to remember that it's typically not children who are coming and saying I want to overcome this fear and I want to change this thing you know from their point of view this is just a horrible experience and why would you want to put yourself in it I mean so obviously Rachel could recognize that actually this was holding her daughter back and so was motivated to do that but from Eden's point of view it, it would have been quite different and that's why she didn't want to do those things so that's really why it's so critical that we we do take this gradual approach when we're working with children so that they can gradually start to discover oh okay I thought that was going to be really terrible and I wasn't going to manage with it but I, just by doing this small thing I've realized that oh maybe it it's not always exactly how I think it's going to be. Um, and so we really encourage parents and children to have conversations about what they predict is going to happen and then go and test that out and then, you know, discuss that with parents being really curious about it so children can start to gradually make those discoveries. And then I think often, you know, once you've started, it gets a bit easier then to keep moving. Um, but it's really important to start really carefully so children just you know don't feel they're being coerced but start to discover oh okay maybe it was a bit different from from what I thought. I wonder Kathy if you could say something about the kind of broad applicability of this because I guess when you build this sort of manualized or sort of process driven system with support you're always thinking you know is this going to work for everyone what's your sense of that? Yeah, so at the moment, we're doing studies in school-based settings, so My Cats and I Cats, and also CoCat, which is in clinical settings. And obviously, all of those are trials that are currently underway. So a lot will depend on what the outcomes of those trials are. But we obviously do have initial uh, sort of case series data, which looks really promising. And we obviously do know that the non-online version, we know it's effective, and we don't really have reasons to think 
that that will change with the online version but we obviously do have to test that out and um, but there are obviously at the moment it's specific to anxiety problems and there are various exclusions so in the COCAT study we don't include children um, with neurodevelopmental conditions for example um, and actually that's one of the main reasons that clinical teams tell us that families are not eligible for the trial um, and there's we've had a lot of requests for adaptations for that purpose so we're working with a team in Manchester led by Tasha Cullingham and um, Jonathan Green to adapt the content of the programme for um, autistic children um, and their parents and so that's a a co-design project working with children working with parents drawing on the available literature so um, that's that's good that's a really fascinating project and we hope that we'll be able to adapt the content for um, a wider group that way we also um, one of my colleagues Chloe Chestel who'll be talking at the conference on the Saturday she's also been doing some work adapting the same sort of approach for parents of children with obsessive compulsive disorder because um, although OCD like anxiety problems often starts prior to adolescence it's actually very hard for families to access support and intervention for children at that age because as you said before often waiting lists are high for specialist services and the younger children don't tend to get prioritized um, even though I think everybody can see it's a no-brainer um, because often there's not the same level of risk um, then it means that the adolescents end up being prioritized I mean of course the adolescents need to be seen as well but it's obviously a real shame and that's at the expense of early intervention. So um, Chloe's been doing some really nice work to adapt the approach for children with OCD and she'll be presenting on an initial case series that she's done following some qualitative work and some co-design which looks really promising that actually again a a really brief approach where you support parents can be really helpful for a really good number of families. So essentially going forwards we hope that we can now we've got the Aussie platform uh, which has been built you know, based on this quite extensive um, co-design with clinicians and families, we hope that we'll be able to continue to adapt it and provide a broader suite of approaches um, to meet the needs of a much larger number of families. And I wondered what you would say to other parents who are wondering about um, whether they should get involved in this sort of research or if they're kind of thinking you know do I want to be involved in you know a scientific study um yeah what's your kind of reflections on having done that in recent years I would say definitely do it um you've got nothing to lose and that's the way I looked at it I thought we've gone down so many roads prior to um my cats and we're still looking into other interventions as well um but like you say, waiting lists are so long. Um, we've been in touch with CAMS and we're on the waiting list. And um, we've gone to the GP, we've gone um, Eden sees the educational psychologist at her school, but that was after um, nearly a year of waiting. So you have literally nothing to lose by getting involved in these studies. And with Eden, it helped her just so much. And it's helped me as well. I'm not a particularly confident person myself, as you can probably tell. Um, and you can end up blaming yourself for but maybe you, you pass that on somehow maybe my behavior has been part of the problem and you can go into like a sort of a hole and just think well you know it is what it is but absolutely not um this has helped me to challenge myself as well and yeah just couldn't recommend it enough and like I say Eden 
you know, she's not changed into a completely different person. I wouldn't want her to be. She's still quiet and shy and she still struggles a lot, but it's it's opened up a conversation. Our relationship's better as well. And the frustration she feels, it, it comes and goes, but it's miles better. She used to be very aggressive um, and lash out because she was so just this little ball of frustration. And she's just completely changed in that regard. She doesn't get like that at all anymore. She's more open to talking about how she feels or if she needs to take a moment, she's more willing to do that as well. So yeah, to other parents that are, are thinking about taking part but not sure, I'd say just do it. Um, you know, it, it's worth it. And you can if you, if you don't get on with it, you don't get on with it. Um, that's fine as well. But being able to access something has really helped me um, to just deal with things because I, I was getting frustrated as well, um, just feeling like everywhere I turned, there was a wall in front of me. But now it feels like I've got some tools and I can manage this whilst I'm still waiting for help. But, you know, we've got we've, we've got this help now and, and we can access it and Eden can, can challenge herself. This must make it all worthwhile, Cathy, listening to Rachel talking about being involved in your work. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is always when you talk to families and, and hear about their experiences that it does sort of, yeah, those are definitely the highlights of, of the work. And I think that what Rachel was saying about, you know, parents do often sort of blame themselves and, t- and take on responsibility um, is something that we hear a lot and also, you know, may get those messages from other people around them. And But actually, I think what all of all of these studies that we've done have shown is that actually, well, the thing that we always really love about it is when you get to the end of the programme and the child's made such progress and we and the clinical team, we haven't seen them at all. So it's clearly the parents that have made it all happen. And I, and that is always such so wonderful to see. And, and sometimes we think, oh, maybe, you know, we should do this bit with the child or that bit with the child. And actually, parents are in a really good position to do these things and they can do it. And if we start getting involved, then maybe parents won't realise quite how much they've done and how much a difference they've made. So um, we really, you know, it's really wonderful to hear people's experiences and to hear Rachel's experience and just all the hard, how all the hard work that she's put in is, is really paying off. Mm-hmm.